The Dory Monson Show on Cairo Radio. This is The Big Lead. Coming to you from the Carter Subaru studio. Welcome. Welcome to The Big Show. It's the start of a new week, the dawn of a new era. And I apologize once again. I know it was rough listening to me Thursday and Friday. I was hoping today was going to be a quantum leap forward. What's your appraisal, Nicole, so far? It still sounds pretty painful. Yeah. Yeah, it's painful. But okay. we appreciate I, you powering through. I didn't have a sore throat Thursday and Friday. Today. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, ooh doggies. I'm telling you, there's some rough colds, flus, all it's the different sicknesses out there. I really think I like that I, I was talking with our traffic specialist, Chris Sullivan. Mm-hmm. I talked to him. He's been battling something. Uh, I know a lot of our other co-workers have. Hannah, and, Dave Bowes, John Curley, a couple producers, a couple yeah. of board ops. Yep, everybody. And I, I, I think that after two and a half years of relative isolation and masking, the human body let down just a little bit. A little bit. And, and now this this stuff that just usually hits us this time of year, we're often able to fend off. Now we're not quite as well prepared for it. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. So, but, I mean, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here doing the show. I just I feel bad for the listeners because this can't be the most pleasant thing to listen to. I know. Well, <sighs> it's all right. Good to have you. Uh, okay, thanks. Okay, so we're going to see if we can nurse this thing along to 3 o'clock this afternoon. Got an awful lot to talk about. In fact, uh, coming up at the bottom of the hour, we're going to take you live to the University of Idaho where that quadruple murder occurred a week ago, and they still don't have to have, seem to have any line on a suspect. Uh, Dan Springer, a friend of our shows from Fox News, he is on the scene there, and he'll join us at 1230 this afternoon. And also, I'm going to talk to a woman, longtime listener. She's been riding buses and trains around here for 20 years, but now she says the safety factor has just reached a breaking point based on an incident she saw a few days ago. So we'll get to all of these things as we proceed through the afternoon. But let's get right to the big lead. The big lead. Top story. The crime around here is still just absolutely awful. And this weekend was particularly bad. As uh, as you heard in the newscast right at the top of the hour, uh, two more murders in Tacoma this morning, Tacoma over the weekend hit an all-time record high for murders. And it looks like they are going to be shattering that total in the last month and a half of the year as they added two more murders today. And it makes me sad that these murder stories are becoming so frequent that we don't really pause to think about what it means for the victims of crime and for the killers themselves. Many of them are just strung out on drugs and young kids. Uh, Then there are stories that are not yet murder stories. They will be someday. Uh, We found out over the weekend about a 15-year-old child who was arrested in King County. He had been, uh, they believe... He had been involved in violent armed incidents 
in Covington, Kent, Renton. And then uh, the latest one was a 76 gas station in Covington, which led to shots being fired. The 15-year-old, a bunch of the kids that he was with, presumably the others were kids too, they all ran. This 15-year-old is the only one who was caught. And our news partners at uh, Cairo 7, they were all over this story. And that's right, Aaron. And this 76 gas station here in Renton was robbed at gunpoint last night. I'm told next the suspects went to Covington. There was an armed robbery at another 76 there. Then it led to shots fired a little bit later. Investigators say that 15-year-old arrested from the scene is believed to be involved in more than 30 armed robberies. Okay, just think about that for a second. They're talking about in the last couple of weeks. They think that this 15-year-old child was involved in 30 armed robberies in a two-week period. Now, this kid has almost no chance of living to his 18th birthday because if you're committing 30 armed robberies in two weeks, at some point, you're going to rob the wrong person and they're going to be armed and they're going to shoot and kill you. But this is the dangerous game that Dow Constantine and Jay Inslee are playing with their no-youth jail. The gangs know that they are recruiting 13, 14, 15-year-olds, younger and younger and younger. And they tell them, hey, even if you get caught, nothing's going to happen to you because we have Dow Constantine in charge. And Dow Constantine believes that violent, armed, 15-year-old felon robbers should just be let free. Now, the conundrum with all of this is they always make this lip service about how they care about armed crime. But then when you catch armed criminals, you just let them go? That's not doing society any favors, and it's not doing the kid any favors. But this is the death wish that our our own Charles Bronson, Dow Constantine, has decided to impose on kids in this region. Armed robberies. It's getting bad. Scenes like this one. Give me all the money. Playing out in Renton, Kent, Tequila, Burien, SeaTac, and West Seattle. The latest robbery was at this 76 in Covington last night. Okay, and then the 15-year-old in that one went before a judge, dangerous judge, named Nelson Lee, who has let a lot of armed teenagers go free only to see them kill again. For medical reasons. I find that the respondent is an extreme risk to the community and also likely failure to appear. The teen will be charged with three counts of first-degree robbery and unlawful possession of a firearm. But investigators believe he's involved in dozens of other violent crimes. This individual is also suspected in over 30 other armed robberies. Okay, and he's going to get slapped on the wrist. He's going to be free before you know it, even if he's convicted of 30 armed robberies, because this is the revolving door that Dow Constantine wants in his king county. Over the past 10 days. He's not attending school. He's not currently residing with his mom as he's, his whereabouts are usually unknown. As for- saying, that was a probation officer or a youth counselor. He's not residing with his mom. Where's his dad? How come these stories only mention moms? But they said that one reason that they have to hold this kid until his 
first arraignment is because he's not currently residing with his mom. Now, this is an extension of what we've been talking about for years now. And the patriarchy. That's one of the planks in the BLM playbook. And the patriarchy. Uh, let's feminize all the men in our region. Let's say that men don't even exist. Men isn't really a gender. Gender is an artificial construct of a bunch of fantasists. And so we have decided to ridicule men, to say that men are the source of so many of societal problems because of the patriarchy. Uh, there's been a systemic demolition of the family. And it begins by convincing everybody that fathers are wholly unnecessary. And that has been a constant, constant bit of noise from the radicals, that fathers are not necessary in kids' lives. And yet, we see the real-life stats of how kids without fathers disproportionately end up in prison, dead, convicted of crimes. But as Cairo 7 reports, he has not been living with his mother. There's not even a mention of a father in this story. All right, I got a question for you. Given how bad all this crime is, if you were at a shopping mall in a parking garage and you saw somebody who was clearly breaking into a car, what would you do? Would you say something? Would you yell at them? Would you try to deter them? Or would you just keep on walking and let the car prowl go without you getting involved? And I ask this because on Friday night, a man and a woman were walking in the parking garage at South Center. Now, my wife and I was my wife and I went to Costco on Friday night. We often joke that that's our pathetic little date night, but uh, that's what some couples do. Friday night, go to Costco. You go to the shopping mall. Well, this was about six thirty in the evening. A man and woman at South Center. And they are walking back out to their car, and they saw somebody who apparently was breaking in to a car in the parking garage. And they reportedly yelled out, said something to him, and that's when the car prowler turned and fired shots. The man was killed, the woman severely injured. And so when you have stories like this, People are less and less likely to get involved even, which is going to make it easier and easier for the criminals. And I don't know if we're going to get to a vigilante-style Wild West. I don't think that's what any of us really want. But if your choices are just avert your eyes, don't say anything, let the kid break into the car, or to stand up, be a member of society, and say, hey, we see what you're doing. And then you pay for that with your life. More and more people are just not going to get involved. And the criminals are going to get away with all kinds of crime then. But that's a serious question that I have for you. Given what happened at South Center on Friday, given your previous life experience, if you saw somebody breaking into a car, would you say something? Or would you just keep on walking by? Because a local man paid for 
saying something, apparently, with his life on Friday night. And by the way, these are only two of many around here. Nicole put together just a little montage of the crime that's plaguing our region just this weekend alone. Armed robberies plaguing South King County over the past two weeks, and there were three more incidents just last night in Covington, Kent, and Renton. In Des Moines, a deadly shooting. Investigators have been at the potential crime scenes in three locations now. Troopers say a man attacked a semi-truck driver, stole the truck, and then rolled it. The man finally jumped out and ran at law enforcement. A woman who was shot at at South Center Mall on Friday, her husband was also shot. He did not survive. Right now, police believe the couple interrupted a car prowler at the mall's parking garage. Seattle, a domestic violence call led to gunshots being fired directly at a group of police officers. Covington police tell us they have arrested one suspect following an armed robbery at a 76 gas station. And just on and on and on it goes. It's getting worse and worse around here. And again, where's Jay Inslee? Jay Inslee, where is he when we've got record murders happening all around his state? Why is he absolutely silent on this issue? Why have the Democrats not come forward with any proposed solution? They have these little fantasy land, uh, let's have more gun laws, while they won't even enforce existing gun laws. And one of the clips in that montage there was also on Friday night. A guy, presumably homeless, shirtless, running on I-5. I've heard from a bunch of people who drive through the Olympia Lacey area, and there are a lot of homeless encampments right alongside the freeway. I told you the story last Wednesday afternoon. Uh, My daughter picked my wife and me up from the airport. It's 4 o'clock in the afternoon. We're driving north on the I-5 express lanes, and we're just passing the Ship Canal Bridge when all of a sudden traffic was moving 60 miles an hour on the express lanes. And all of a sudden, like a game of Frogger, we see a guy running across the express lanes trying to dodge cars going 60 miles an hour. And when we got up to where he ran across, we saw there was a huge homeless encampment on the east side of the express lanes, a huge homeless encampment on the west side. The DOT, the state, they all allow this to happen. Well, this had deadly consequences when somebody, presumably from a homeless camp, carjacked a semi-truck, rammed several cars, flipped the truck, I-5 was shut down for hours, right in the peak of afternoon rush hour traffic on Friday afternoon and evening. When the police ran up to the cab of the truck, they tried to extricate the guy. He was shirtless. They tried to uh, use some kind of a chemical weapon. And then after he jumped out, He was, according to reports, running straight at the cops, and they shot and killed the guy. Now, the blood of this guy is on the hands of our governor and our DOT if he popped out of one of those homeless encampments because they consider it compassionate to let people commit daily crimes, buy drugs every day, run across the freeway, hijack trucks, big semis, Block traffic for hours. That's all part of their rights in our compassionate state of Washington. But at some point, somebody, and I'll be the guy, 
has to say that the blood of these victims is on the hands of Jay Inslee and the lawmakers who have created the situation. And that is your big lead for today. The Big Lead on Cairo Radio. Coming up next, we are going to take you live to Moscow, Idaho, where the murder of four college students remains a tremendous mystery. Dan Springer is live on the scene, and he'll join us next here on the Dory Monson Show. For those of us who are parents and have sent kids off to college, what has unfolded the last week or so at the University of Idaho is just the greatest tragedy imaginable. Uh, as you just heard in Aaron's newscast, there's a memorial service this afternoon for the young man, Ethan Chapin, who was killed. He's from Mount Vernon, but uh, four college students stabbed to death. And what makes this so disturbing is after eight days, they have no weapon, no motive, and no suspect in the case. Dan Springer is the Northwest correspondent for Fox News, and he's on the scene there in Moscow, Idaho, and he joins us here on the Dory Monson Show. Hey, Dan, it's always great to have you on. Yeah, hey, Dory, I was thinking about you because I know you have three daughters, and uh, I've got three daughters, and it's just, you know, you just said it's every, it's a cliche, but every parent's worst nightmare, you send your kids off to school, and and then you have something like this happen to your family, it's just unimaginable, and um, you really feel for all those parents, you know? Yeah, and, you know, one of my daughters was a Coog, so right across the border from Moscow, and she was in a sorority, she lived off camp, or she lived in, a, you know, a house with friends. Uh, for a couple of the years there. So there's so much of this that is relatable. So take us back to the beginning, Dan. So as I understand it, they were at a Greek party. They stopped at a food truck around 1 a.m., security footage of that, and then the four of them returned to this house that they shared with two other roommates, correct? Well, that's, that's almost correct. Ethan Chapin and his girlfriend, Zana Kernodal, were at that fraternity party. Ethan's a member of Sigma Chi, which is only about 150 yards away from the house where this happened. Those two were at a fraternity party until about 1.30. Then they returned back to this house. Uh, Madison and Kaylee, the other two who are from the Coeur d'Alene area, they were at a party uh, at a bar in Moscow. Then they were seen on camera at a food truck at 1.40. They got a private driver to take them back to their house about a mile, mile and a half away. They were back also at that house by 145. So all four were back in the house at 145. Police say this happened sometime between 3 and 4 o'clock in the morning. So they believe that the, the, all of them were in their sleep, that they had gotten home by 145 and were asleep by around 3. And this, they were awakened by this madman with a knife. We don't know if it's a man or a woman, but, you know, it makes sense it's a man. Yeah. Um, and he was, he was, in a rage, he killed four people without two other people in the house waking up. There were two other roommates on the first floor who slept right through this attack. They woke up in the morning, and at 12 o'clock or so, they were trying to reach their roommates up above on the floor floors above them. They called police when they said that there was an unresponsive adult in our house. They must have peeked inside the door, and they looked and saw that the roommate wasn't moving. And so they called police. Police get here and find the bodies of four people. And, and those other two roommates, I'm told, are not 
suspects or even persons of interest. They they don't believe they were involved, even though a lot of people were asking, how in the world could you not be awakened while a violent stabbing of four roommates was taking place? Yeah, I think they live on the first, this is a three-level house, so they lived in the front of the house in the first level, then it kind of goes to the back, it goes higher. The two people were in a bedroom on the second floor, found dead, two people on a, in a bedroom on the third floor were found dead. And so the people who were on the first floor were the ones who were unhurt and maybe slept through everything. It, again, it doesn't make sense that you could yeah. have four people knifed to death and not hear something, but who knows? You, you, you don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you've heard the same thing in your long career, and you've had to cover a lot of stories like this, but I've had cops and psychiatrists. They've told me that killing somebody with a gun can be somewhat dispassionate because you're, you're a ways away from them if you fire that gun, but that there, are, that there really is no crime more violent, more brutal than stabbing crimes because it does involve that close-up, uh, you know, almost hand-to-hand type combat, and that those are, from what cops have told me, those are the most brutal and violent of these types of mass murders. And it would seem to be personal, right? I mean, when you have yeah. to be in a rage to kill somebody that way, that close to yourself, and then also do it three other times. So the police are very convinced that this was targeted, but we don't know if that means that the one of the victims knew the assailants or assailant, we don't know. Um, it could be that they were targeted that night uh, by somebody who spotted one of them at a bar and said, you're my target tonight. I, we don't know. But they have some evidence that they collected in that house that tells them that somebody in that house was the target. What, what just is mind-boggling is how you could go in that house or somebody could go in that house, kill one person who was a target, and then kill three other people with a knife and get out without two other people in the house hearing you. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a drug-fueled, psychotic rage. About a week ago, they said there was no danger to the greater community. They've backed off on that a bit, haven't they? They backed off completely, because okay. even though they thought that this was targeted, now you have to go with the assumption that th- there is pr- somebody out there who is extremely violent, extremely dangerous, and they don't have them in custody. So if they do know who they, you know, who they're looking for... And they haven't said that to us. If they do know, that person is still obviously out there and, um, and a danger to the community. And, so the, the, they're, and now they're asking for the community's help. They are asking for anybody who has video, uh, surveillance video at their, at their front door or whatever, to give them whatever they have because they, they dearly need some clues, some evidence to catch this guy. And they saw somebody on the food truck video that somebody had, but they've they've now dismissed that person as a suspect as well. They, yeah, they cleared him. They cleared the private driver that took um, Madison and Kaylee from that food truck back to the house. Uh, they've cleared the roommates. They've cleared the other people who were in the house when the police first arrived at that Sunday uh, around noon, because what happened is the two surviving roommates called other friends to the house prior to the cops getting there. So there was a room full of people when the cops arrived initially to discover those four bodies. All of the people who were in that house before the police arrived have been cleared. They're not suspects. So if they have somebody of interest, they're not letting us know, but definitely not the people who were in the house or the people who were in that video at the, at the food truck. 
Well, I'll close with what you said at the very beginning, Dan, just, you know, father to father. Uh, the, even if they catch the guy, there's no balance in the scales of justice. There's no, there's, there's nothing that makes up for losing, you know, one child, much less four kids like this. This must be a horrible story to cover, I imagine. Well, it is. Um, and you, you nailed it when you say, you know, you, you send your kids to college and you, you know, pray for their safety and, uh, something like this happens and you just, um, you just look at yourself and you go, Oh my, what, 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 what if this was my family, my daughter, my son? Uh, it's just, it's just hard. It's hard. Yeah. Um, so, so many of the stories we cover these days are there, but for the grace of God, go on. Dan, I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on with me today. All right. Take care, Dory. You got it. All right. Dan Springer, the outstanding Northwest correspondent for Fox News. He's on the scene in Moscow, Idaho. It's a heartbreaking story. But, you know, the stories that I had in the big lead, uh, husband and wife in a parking garage in SeaTac Friday night intervened in a car prowl, and the husband's dead now. The wife is shot. This is happening with such randomness. It is happening with such an alarming rate of increase. Uh, Drugs are a huge part of the problem, and... I won't be at all surprised to, if we find out this some drug-induced psychotic rage in this Idaho story, if and when they catch the guy. Love to hear your thoughts on all of this. You can text me at 888-973-CAIRO. 888-973-5476. Lots more straight ahead here on the Dory Monson Show. Check in the text line. About 80% of the people say, thanks for pushing through without a voice. About 20% are saying, no, it's too annoying. Take the day off. Just uh, let it rest. It's not going to get better until you... No, I let it rest all Saturday and Sunday. I didn't do much Saturday, Sunday. I let it rest plenty, believe me. So it's going to just take its course when it takes its course. Uh, from the 425, Dory, your voice still sounds better than the voice of my soon-to-be ex-wife. <laughs> well, that's setting the bar quite low for me, I would say. Crying out loud. As we've been telling you, this winter is going to be uh, the most expensive in history for heating your home. Natural gas up about 45%. Propane is up. Electricity is up. You name it. It's oil is up about 30%. Uh, CNN, they say that now there are a lot of Americans who literally have to make a choice. Do you want to be able to heat your home? Or do you want to feed your family? Families worried for winter on these first frigid dates. Okay, all right, let me look. And Charmaine Johnson can relate. God bless you too, thank you. The 63-year-old works at this nonprofit, but she's also struggling to afford heat. She just paid more than $1,000 to fill her oil tank. I didn't even fill it. That's, that, that, it did, it's not even full. And how long will that last? Uh, probably about February, January or February. It's just another brutal price hike. It's like you living in an igloo. Home heating. Yeah, it's like living in an igloo, just being at home. But 
they have to choose because they have to feed their families too. And this is something I can something. <laughs> see if I can replicate that again. And this is something that I can really relate to. <laughs> to. Uh, when I when I was a kid, we had an oil furnace, and it was out a lot, and the tank sat empty a lot. And I remember, oh, my favorite thing when I was about seven, eight years old, on uh, Cairo TV from 9 to 10 o'clock on Saturday mornings was the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner Hour. And uh, there was a heat register right underneath the TV. We had a little 19-inch black and white. And I loved grabbing a blanket, a pillow, laying right underneath the TV and putting my feet up against the register and trapping whatever came out with that blanket so my whole body would feel the warmth of that heat. And I would often be defiant because my mom would tell me, you can't turn on the thermostat in the morning. You can't turn on the furnace. We can't, we don't, can't afford it. But uh, that was the beginning of my rebel days because, man, even, even if you can't afford it to have a little heat trapped under a blanket during the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner hour, oh, it's the absolute best. But <clears throat> that is why I feel so horrible about what Americans are going through right now because this inflation that – People said during the election wasn't a big concern, so they decided to just stay primarily on the same track in America as disastrous as this track is. Costs are skyrocketing yet again this winter, up 18% nationally, on top of last year's 17% spike. Largely driven by the war in Ukraine, OPEC cuts, a surge in energy exports, and a high demand for natural gas in the electricity sector. Heating a home with natural gas could cost an extra 25% and electric 11%. So to put that in some kind of context, for a lot of people, they heat their home, natural gas. <clears throat> you're looking at about 2500 bucks a year in many cases. Sometimes it's more if you have a bigger house. 25% increase means $600 just increase in heating your home. That's on top of the increase that you're paying at the gas pump, on top of the increase that you're paying at the grocery store. And that's why I do believe, as we see what's happening elsewhere economically, with Amazon laying off 10,000 people right before the busiest month of their year, the Christmas month, and they've announced that uh, layoffs are going to be, in the beginning, they're going to hit human resources. And that is, I've, I've told you this a lot, that is always a leading indicator. If companies are cutting elsewhere, then maybe you can paint a rosy picture on it. But if you're cutting your HR, that means you aren't planning on doing any hiring. You're not planning on backfilling many or most of those jobs. So the Seattle City Council doing everything it can to chase Amazon out of town. You have companies like Redfin. They're cutting 3% of their workforce which is a lot of people. They're based here in Seattle. And meanwhile, is government cutting? And this is one of the great sins that we have to deal with right now as taxpayers. Not only do we have to pay more at the gas pump and the grocery store and on the home heating and everything else, but Jay Inslee and the Seattle City Council and Bruce Errol and Dow Constein, they all want greatly increased budgets. 
Now, the solution in tough times, if you want to show people that you care at all and have any empathy for what we are going through, is you say, you know what, we're going to cut our budget. We're going to make reductions in government. We'll cut your taxes some. Almost every state in the country, except for Washington, has done tax cuts in the last few months. And while businesses are choppy, you heard what happened to Twitter, right? Twitter's gone from 10,000 employees down to about 2,500, which shows you how bloated they were because they were a tech company. Come down at 3 o'clock and get a massage. But Twitter's making huge cuts. Amazon's making huge cuts. Everybody's cutting except our government. And that is a recipe for economic disaster. Okay, I'm going to suck a lozenge. No, that's not a metaphor. I'm literally going to suck a lozenge. Uh, We'll check the news, and then the Fast 15 is next.